Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name's Jara, and thanks for tuning in. Today with us, we have Andy. Hello. And Sue. Hi there. And before we get into our main topic, we have a little bit of housekeeping to do first. As usual, our show is entirely supported by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as a dollar a month and get awesome rewards from thanks on social media up to silly watch-along commentaries. And we've also recently adjusted our rewards tiers to try to, I guess, just balance a little bit better, make more of the exclusive content we're creating available to more people. So if you visit patreon.com slash women at warp, you'll see that there's been some discounts on our Patreon tiers. And so you can now get access to things like exclusive episodes on non-track topics like Star Wars or Supernatural without paying as much as uh, previously. So yeah, anything else to say on that, Sue? Yeah, I mean, basically, obviously, we're so thankful for all of your support on Patreon. But we also know that that recently, specifically, there have been a lot of worldwide natural disasters. There are wildfires and there are earthquakes and there are, I think, a volcano just today as we're recording. And I just want to say, I think we all agree that, you know, if you're you're strapped, if you are making a decision of who to support, we would much rather that you support relief efforts than support us if that is a- an issue for anybody out there listening. You know, it's it's really kind of cool to see some of the things that Trekkies are doing around the world to try to raise money and awareness around these types of natural and uh, humanitarian and ecological disasters. We shared something on our social a couple weeks ago about a trekathon that two of our listeners in Canberra were putting together for an Indigenous Youth Environmental Justice Initiative. And um, yeah, so it's really cool and we're um, pleased to be able to support. And um, if you're able to, like Sue said, and, and you're choosing, we're, we're totally cool with forgoing us to make that choice. So, but if you do have the ability to support us, our Patreon is patreon.com slash women at warp. And like I said, we have m- made more of our rewards available at lower levels. So take a look and see what those adjustments are. Patreon.com slash women at warp. You can also support us by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. So as this episode is about to drop, we will have just seen the first episode of Picard, but none of us have seen it yet. So we're going to talk about the last thing, which is the season two of Short Treks that for us just wrapped up with Children of Mars. So let's just start. Let's go through them. There's six, starting with Q&A, which is the one with number one and Spock in the turbo lift. First impressions of Q&A. I know, Andy, you uh, did this this one that you watched first time today. Yeah, so I, I, I banged them out today, all of them. Mm-hmm. So they're fresh in my mind. My first question is, are we supposed to want them to bang? <laughs> <laughs> no. D- do we? Because I couldn't tell if that's what they were trying... There were a handful of times that felt a little shippy. Yeah. I mean, number one, telling Spock to get on his knees will stick with me for a while. <laughs> and there's that moment where she asks for a boost and he puts his hands on her waist. And it's just yeah. kind of weird. And I don't know. There's lots of there's lots of eyes. You know, they're, they're making a lot of eyes at each other. 
Yeah, like when he's looking at her being pulled up at the end. Yeah. And and when she lands on him, his ha- hand is inexplicably on her thigh for a long time. <laughs> so I just, I have questions. That's all I'm saying. I have questions about how I'm supposed to be feeling about this. And if it was intentional that they did all of this kind of uh, shippy shit. That's my first question. I think, I think, in my opinion, they were probably trying to make those shared glances. We understand each other. Yeah. But I totally <laughs> see the, the, the shippy glances as well. Also, just, you know, because Andy probably won't be able to cut all of this out. My cat is in an e-collar right now and she is licking it. So that's what the weird noise is in the background. Oh. <laughs> hey, I get dinged on social media all the time for taking out the cat noises. So if people want to complain, I'm just going to point to all the people who go, no, don't take out the cat noises and just say that it's their fault. Well, that's because people think cat noises are cute. They must not have cats. <laughs> so I think that there's a lot to like about this episode, but then there were a couple things that really annoyed me. Um, so we'll just list those, and some of them are pretty tiny. But first, yeah. I really dislike the model of like the turbo lift layout and that it kind of looks like the inside of a Death Star. Why is there that much empty space on yeah. the Enterprise? Okay, I have thoughts about this, and I think okay. it's like my gaming computer in which there's like nothing in the tower so it won't overheat. There. Sorted. That's why. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe because it's like an older ship, I guess. It just felt a bit weird and unnecessary. And I yeah, I definitely saw some people being like, why couldn't they just beam them out of the turbo lift? But I mean, I guess they were like, well, it's almost fixed. We'll just hang out and ask personal questions. I did like her like sassy mentorship style kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I thought it was, I mean, it was more of number one than we got to see all season in Discovery, and I thought it was sort of a neat rounding out of how uh, Rebecca Romaine and the writers saw that character. And there were also some really neat, like, details, like the the lighting panels behind them in the turbo lift have this really kind of intricate pattern that has, like, delta shields on it, which I didn't notice until, like, a second watching, but it's just an example of, again, how Discovery is really kind of upped the detail level in things. How do we feel about Gilbert and Sullivan again in Star Trek? She did a good job with it. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, that's that's not the issue. <laughs> but like your freaky is light opera? <laughs> like <laughs> I mean, it would be freaky if I did that at work. <laughs> <laughs> Probably less so if I did that at work. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I mm. so okay, so I think it is fun that this apparently came out actually, like, wasn't just them deliberately dipping into the same well that Star Trek has already gone a couple times, to uh, HMS Pinafore particularly, but that Rebecca Romaine said that she she got, like, a text from Alec Kurtzman and who was like, hey, do you have any special skills? And she had no idea what he was talking about and goes like, well, I play badminton, I speak some languages, and I sing Gilbert and Sullivan, and... Mm. And she knew all the words to the song and she was super excited about it. And so, like, she didn't even need to be taught the song again. So I think that's cool that they interjected that partly because it was her thing. But I think it's really suspicious that we're expected to believe that, like, all the Starfleet people know Gilbert and Sullivan in the future. (laughs) 
and that it's a little bit colonialist. Hmm. Starfleet computers only carry royalty-free music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I think there was a lot that, for me especially, to like about this episode. Like, I loved her interactions with Spock for the most part. I enjoyed the way that they made clear, you know, for for those in the know, that Spock's character, what he became, was supposed to be what number one was going to be. That was convoluted, but you know what I mean. That in the original conception of Star Trek, she was the, I guess, cold, logical, unemotional one, and he was supposed to be a scientist. And then they combined those characteristics when they removed number one from the show and just put them all into Spock. But I don't know what the message of this is supposed to be. She says to him, I would never ask an officer to to hide any part of themselves, but hide this part of yourself. And you're saying this to Star Trek fans. Yeah, I think the message was, we're both the same because we're forced to do this. And like me as a woman and you as an other, as like a half human, half Vulcan, is that we're both forced to hide how smart and weird we are to be able to command. And I did question that, but I think like in today's world, it's a very real message. Mm -hmm. I guess I would just hope that you would be allowed to be a little freakier in the future, especially when like freaky is just being really smart or (laughs) knowing Kilbert and Sullivan. Or smiling. Yeah. Also, there's another sort of like little nod to the fact that number one is maybe into Captain Pike. Oh, yeah. Where Spock makes the like, you've made a very careful study of the captain. And then she's like, awkward about it, which I've never been a fan of her being into Captain Pike. So, you know, doesn't, I don't love it, but whatever, you know, overall, I, I think there was a lot of cute, there was a lot of good moments in this episode. There's a moment where they're getting out and they take the top off and they do a shot with them looking straight up. Mm -hmm. That is very clearly like an homage to the, the Kirk Spock picture that is exactly like that and it was kind of freaky like for uh, for like one eye blink i was like oh my i like it looked exactly like leonard nimoy it was Mm. in the colors and everything and it was like being transported to that still i guess for a second and it was good and subtle and a nice little nod to that photograph which i enjoyed i do think it's hilarious that they basically did a short track based on fanfic tropes. <laughs> Trapped yeah. in an elevator, really? <laughs> Although I will say that Star Trek in general and Spock specifically have had a hand in so many fanfic tropes <laughs> that I find it kind oh, of yeah. amusing and like a full circle moment. Like, fuck or die is 100% <laughs> from Ponfar. And sex pollen is 100% from Spock being sneezed on by that weird flower. Mm-hmm. And now mm-hmm. they're trapped in an elevator. And I just think it's funny. <laughs> nice. Also, fun fact about this episode is that this was the 763rd piece of Star Trek franchise, like movies, episodes. And it was the first one score with the music scored by a woman who is Nami Melamad. And the second one is the episode Ask Not, which we'll get to in a minute, uh, which was scored by Andrea Datsman. So Star Trek has exponentially increased its number of women composers in the 
this one season of Short Tracks. I mean, about time. I don't know how to react to that. Yay! (laughs) You know, I think we should celebrate the achievement of those women and hope that the ratio continues to improve going forward. I do like the exploration of Spock always, pretty much, Mm -hmm. and the idea Mm -hmm. that what's going on underneath Spock's surface is so much more than what he shows on his face. Because that's mm-hmm. kind of the essence of Spock, really. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of cute to have a younger Spock and like seeing him before he has so many of those walls up mm-hmm. is interesting. You know, I was actually scrolling through Instagram earlier today and I saw a comment and I truly don't remember what the original post was or who the commenter was. But they wrote that one of the greatest mysteries of Star Trek is why Spock smiles in the cage. And I don't know if this is a person who, like, refuses to watch Discovery, but I, I feel like Discovery addresses that. The Spock we see mm-hmm. in the cage is not the Spock that we see in the original series. Mm-hmm. And especially this episode, I feel like, begins to address that and how Spock deals with or copes with or even, unfortunately, hides parts of himself. Yeah. Also, I need a... GIF of number one saying, I find that problematic. (laughs) (laughs) Anywho. All right. Well, let's go on to episode two, The Trouble with Edward. Uh, this episode's bleak, (laughs) y'all. It is bleak. It is bleak. And yet I'm, it's like everything about it is supposed to be funny. It's very clear that they like thought it was funny, but it's also it's actually horrifying. Yeah, yeah. I think it's yeah. a, a very polarizing episode. Like, like groups that I watched it with were all like uniformly like I love it or I hate it. Uh, they had a whole like conference room scene in which they discussed eating the meat of Tribbles. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I thought it was really funny. Hi. <laughs> and this the serial ad. Did you watch the serial ad? Some people missed it because it was after part of the credits. The serial ad makes me uncomfortable. I don't like it. <laughs> Sorry, I was super into it. So I guess this would be an example of that. I mean, to be fair, I totally acknowledge it was super bleak. And I know it is probably supposed to be canon, but I'm just kind of choosing to treat it as, like, more, like, fanfic, because to me it felt more like a parody. It felt like crack. If we're, <laughs> yeah. still, if we're still using fanfic tropes, crack is what uh, we call silly beyond silly. Like, yes. supposed yeah. to be so silly that no one takes it seriously. Yep, that, that seems accurate. <laughs> When she was like, do we know if they have intelligence? And he was like, well, I can brain damage them. I was like, bro, what? What is happening right now? I find that problematic. <laughs> I don't know what. I don't know. What, like the whole time my mouth was just open. I was just like, okay, there, there's wildly differing tone issues here. <laughs> We're like... The music and the performances are obviously made, it's supposed to be humorous, but I'm also like, what? This is a Starfleet dude? And they're letting him experiment on things? Okay. Um, and they've got, like, the triple vacuum cleaner that looks like it was created by Dr. Seuss. <laughs> the vacuum so much. And that's, like, I mean, that's my favorite part, but I think it was, it's interesting to, beyond the fact that I just found it really funny, but I think it is has an interesting dynamic of like uh h john benjamin who will be better known as archer from um also from bob's burgers 
as like he's kind of playing like an archer-esque character and this like dynamic with this much younger woman rosa salazar who's in charge and not super experienced but like is kind of doing generally the right thing as a starfleet commander and then he's like sending in reports about her like trying to get her removed and all this kind of stuff like it was I mean, it definitely could have been done with a super dark tone and really, really, like, would not have been able to skate by, I think, any Star Trek fans. But I think the fact that they, like, wrote it in this way and performed it in this way somehow had alchemy for some people. Okay, there's a bunch of, like, montage scenes in which they're, like, shooting tribbles and then... (laughs) That one woman's, like, being crushed to death by a tribble. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. like, I don't know how to feel about this. I feel really weird right now. <laughs> well, and you didn't even see the serial ad at the end where basically it's, like, a these two kids and their mom in a Starfleet uniform who's pouring them a, a bowl of tribbles that are, like, Edward's brand, like, tribble cereal. And it's like now in spicy ranch. <laughs> no, they're like mm, furry, no. veto, <laughs> and they're meat. Yep. <laughs> Here's a bowl of furry meat. Everything about this episode disturbs me. <laughs> also, why do they not have an HR? Yeah, <laughs> their HR protocols suck. That is that is true. And where's the counselor? Definitely take take that kind of behavior more seriously earlier on. Like, that dude needs counseling. Like, a lot of counseling. But devil's advocate, right? You're in a conference room with your new boss, who, in front of everyone you work with, is just like, you know what? What you're doing is not an important thing, so we're going to stop it and take it away from you and put you on a team that you don't care about. That's also pretty shitty. Like, she's not a good boss. <laughs> Yeah, but for some context, what he was doing <laughs> was offering to brain damage living creatures. Yes. True. <laughs> uh, I, I thought it was kind of like, because, I mean, the other Tribble episodes are also, like, humorously ridiculous, but not dark. And I thought it was kind of poking fun at, like, the unanswered questions in those episodes. That is a really generous reading of that. <laughs> <laughs> You may be completely right, because that would make it better. (laughs) Because one of the things that's always bothered me about The Trouble with Tribbles, which is obviously a phenomenal episode, is at the very end, Scotty sends them all to die. Yeah. (laughs) Horribly. And it's like, a pun. LOL. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So that would actually make me like this episode a lot better. But if that's what they were going for, it did not come through as clearly (laughs) as they needed it to. That's fair. Yep. Well, maybe one of the boldest episodes of the season, though. (laughs) You know what? Actually, that conference room scene, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of that Debbie Downer sketch (laughs) when they're at Disneyland or whatever. (laughs) My cat has feline AIDS. Like, that's like they were like, oh, the triples are so cute. And like, if you remove the hair... (laughs) <laughs> and like all their faces it's like wah, wah. <laughs> so there were genuinely instances where i did find it fu- like that moment was pretty funny mm-hmm. i just i feel like the the conflicting tonal problems mm-hmm. just made it really surreal and i don't know what that episode is saying 
What is that episode saying? I don't think it's saying no, anything. No, I definitely don't think that's a message. But I, I think it's interesting that the people I saw complaining about this episode on social media were complaining that the tribbles were retconned. Right? <laughs> I'm like, that is the least of my issues with this. How about like the way these Starfleet officers are treating and talking about each other? <laughs> Can we start there? Can we, how about, oh, yeah, I lost my first command like a week into it and killed a crew member because he was an idiot. I guess she didn't kill the crew member and lost a crew member because he was an idiot. That would not fly at Starfleet Command. No, I guess so then. Like, is is there a question about, like, is this going to be a type of humor we're going to see on Lower Decks? I don't know. But if so, mm-hmm. is that going to be a problem? I also don't know. Like, are are we... You know, is canon being shaped to be like even the, like these, whatever, like the fifth, sixth tier of important ships in the Federation, do they just behave like this? Right. Like the office in space, (laughs) where almost everyone is incompetent. I know we're talking about the short tracks, but that is like the one issue I have with all of what's out there with Lower Decks right now, is that they call this ship unimportant. Mm-hmm. And like, it's just one word, but it irks me. Well, one of the things that I've always really liked about Star Trek is that it's about competent people solving problems. Mm-hmm. That's something I absolutely love about it. And in, yeah, I mean, I don't think we need to take this short track super seriously, but also like that was definitely a lot of incompetent people causing problems. Well, they'd say that, Edward is a brilliant scientist, but he has he has interpersonal issues. But you know what? That's the same descriptor that they use for Stamets. Or Tilly. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So I think we, we can't be too... I don't know. We can't just, like, throw this character out the window without at least recognizing that. That, like, he is a brilliant scientist who apparently doesn't want to be there. Stamets is exactly the same. He is a brilliant scientist who doesn't want to be there. Yeah, I think the difference with this guy is he's a, like a more of a Victor Frankenstein type. Like he has no ethics. Yeah, that's, mm. yeah, that's my problem with him is not his incompetency. Although at this point, I could say that that's pretty vast. <laughs> it's his moral compass, I guess. But like how much of this could have been avoided with a more caring and understanding and mm, experienced manager. Mm. Yeah. And I don't even think anything she did was like that out of the realm of possibility for a leader. Mm -hmm. That that final moment where she calls him an idiot doesn't land the way I think they thought it should or wanted it to. Mm -hmm. Partly just because of the language, which is very ableist, but it just doesn't quite it's like, all these terrible things happened. Oh, just because he was an idiot. Okay. Yeah. But, like, some of the other stuff, it's just, this is what I go back to with the HR thing. Like, a competent HR protocols would have, would have saved them so much. Like, if you make a complaint against a superior officer, even if it's a really unprofessional and clearly personal complaint, how how do you, uh, like, she immediately retaliates. Mm-hmm. Uh... Anyways, we're definitely going deeper into this episode than it, like, can hold up to. (laughs) But I was just very taken aback by it, I guess. That's totally fair. Okay, let's go on to Ask Not, the last of the Enterprise. 
surprise discovery disco era. Yeah, thank you. This is another HR nightmare. Yes. I, oh my god, oof. I have I have issues with this one. Seriously. They need someone who works in HR in the writer's room of Star Trek, I am telling you. If anyone doesn't remember which one this is, it's the one where, uh, with Cadet Tira Sidhu, who's played by Amrit Kaur, and she is... Put through a psychological torture experiment? With real Pike to prove that she can be on the Enterprise, and it is messed up. I don't even really have words for this. Like, first of all, how the hell do they have the bandwidth to do this for every dang cadet and ensign and, like, random person that comes onto their ship? Maybe it's just that Pike insists on doing it. Like, maybe no one else in the Federation does this. Except for it's still hundreds of people. Yeah. So, like, how would you have the time and energy to do this, like, messed up social experiment on each one of your crew members and no one ever talks about it again? So, like, nobody knows it's coming? It just doesn't make any, like, from a purely logistical sense, it doesn't make any sense. But then you add in how completely messed up it is. <laughs> it's like, what? He tries to manipulate her with, let's make sure your husband doesn't die this time, too. And they bring in the Tholians, like, any little thing they could use to possibly, like, upset or trigger her, they use. And not to mention that those panels she was working on actually exploded. <laughs> Yeah. What if she had been more seriously hurt? Because that sure looked real. She had debris falling on her head. What is happening? And then right at the end, she, well, not the exact end, but they beam onto the ship. And number one is just like, hi, you're welcome. That was all me. I'm going to torture you. Like, what? Yeah. And like, make her think, yeah, that her husband's going to die and that like all of this stuff. And I think what differentiates this, because, like, we have seen Star Trek put people through stupid and arguably messed up tests before, but in almost every other case I can think of, they knew it was a test. Like, you know, Troy and the bridge officer's exam, and, like, Wesley, like, they sort of mess with him on the test where he's trying to get into the academy, but, like, he still knows it's possible. He knows a test is coming. Yeah. But he hasn't, like, entered an exam room. Yeah. I mean, arguably that's as messed up. And it's the situation, it's the, almost the exact situation that, uh, in f- for how they lost his father. Yeah. Super messed up. Basically, this whole season of Star Trek made me really question Starfleet and uh, the Federation's educational systems. But, yeah, this, I don't know, this felt, I don't know, I I haven't watched that TNG episode in a long time, but this to me felt like, mm, very messed up and not justifiable and she also recovers way too quickly like if Mm -hmm. that happened to me and then they were like oh no 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 it was all just a test and then oh like oh also your husband's fine and you're posted the enterprise i would be like what the f like i it's gonna take a while for me to trust you again well she reacts like she's on candid camera she's like no really Yeah. You guys, you got me good. It's really weird. In one of the 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 like structural problems of this episode are stories run into this when they're trying to trick the audience. Mm-hmm. So, they're trying to do two things, which is trick the character and trick the audience at the same time. And you can run into troubles with that in which 
it doesn't actually make sense unless there's a third person ob- observer. Mm-hmm. And they run into that with this. Like, I don't even understand. Like, where was she? She was, I had to watch this. So I recap this for our blog. I had to watch it multiple times to even understand it all. And it's, what, eight minutes long? And I paused it a whole bunch because the descriptions and the explanations were very confusing. I think she was in, like, a transporter room on the station. Okay. Right? Where the Enterprise was docked. And I don't know, Ed, the the more you listen to the explanation, like, the reason he's arrested is because he was trying to help a ship that the Admiral on board ordered him not to help but the Tholians were taking over the ship. Like, it's very convoluted. And then, like, all of the, all of the, the coincidences. Oh, you survived a Tholian attack. Oh, your husband's on that ship. I'd like, from the, I don't know, the second one, I was like, oh, this isn't real. Well, I knew that Pike was not, like, if he, there was something shady about him because he wasn't acting like Pike. Mm-hmm. And by the way, the fact that like the 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 tension in this episode is them yelling regulations at each other is objectively hilarious. They're like, mm. well, <laughs> no, that is not correct. <laughs> According to you know this regulation of this blah, 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 this number, you are not correct. Like the fact that that was supposed to be our tension is hilarious. However. I do really like, I think my favorite part of this whole thing is when she said, I don't do loopholes. Yeah. Well, she seemed like a cool gal. Like, if we're talking pure character, like, we, we learned who she was pretty quickly, and she seemed like a solid stand-up person. I just really, I don't understand the point of this, and I don't think it, like, if you start questioning the underlying what is... Like, logistically, how did this even work? Like, how how is a random transporter room set up for this kind of simulation? Right. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense from, like, a logistical perspective, and then it also doesn't even make any sense from a character perspective, and the whole thing at the end of the day is pretty pointless. And so, yeah. Great job, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like... You know, if this is a setup for a Pike series, well, I think that it did make me excited about possibly seeing that character in a bigger, more fleshed out role in the future, but definitely made me, I don't know that that was the story in which to do that. Yeah. Okie dokie. So we are on to the animated episodes. So first up, we have uh, The Girl Who Made the Stars in which a young Michael Burnham is told a story by her dad. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. The animation is really, really beautiful. Yeah, definitely. There there were these behind-the-scenes videos made for some of the short tracks, and there's one for the girl who made the stars where uh, the director, Olatunde Osun-san-mi, said that they started by looking at photos of different parts of Africa and different tribes, and they wanted things to be drawn from reality, but also maintain kind of a a glowy, magical feel. And they show some of the work, you know, modeling Michael Burnham's face from like Sinequa Martin Green's face and like back and stylizing it and stuff. And yeah, I thought it was kind of cool and definitely did feel kind of magical. And another thing that um, some people actually noticed was that the night beast, night monster, is the is the thing that Spock draws on the tablet that jumps out 
at Michael in Discovery. So that's kind of cool. Fun link there. It was interesting to see someone else be Michael's dad Mm -hmm. because she gets so integrated into Spock's family. It was just Mm -hmm. kind of cool to see that other relationship be front and center, especially since her dad ruled. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Also, this is like the first Star Trek that we've had that's like targeted at kids in a long time. And certainly, you know, some of the comments about Discovery has been like that it's harder to share with your children. But like, here's like a little snippet of it that's very targeted to kids. And the director also said that his favorite part when making the short track was showing my daughter and watching her watch someone who looked like her and just seeing the expression on her face. So that is cool. I feel like this could be like a really powerful story for a little girl or a little kid. Yeah, we don't know any of the really any information about what the Nickelodeon animated show is going to be, just that it is in development. Mm -hmm. But we do know that neither of these animation styles for this one or the next one are going to be the same animation style as Lower Decks. So Mm -hmm. I don't know, I wouldn't certainly not mind seeing more of this style on Nickelodeon show. It's very magical. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's almost fantasy like instead of sci fi like. Yeah. Did you know what the like, there's this being that comes and gives her the light ball at the end was that supposed to be something in particular i was trying to figure that out because i mean surprisingly that's where the story differs from the one that michael actually tells in discovery right Mm -hmm. they say her her story in the live action in discovery is that she throws a bunch of sand into the air and that becomes the stars Mm -hmm. in here we have this this alien entity giving her knowledge essentially and then warping away so I don't know. I don't there there's no like canon connection that I could think of. To me it like it vaguely resembled the red angel in like the way that its head kind of looked and the fact that it has these projections but the projections look more like kind of tentacle arms than like mechanical mm-hmm. wings. So I don't know if there's meant to be a connection there or anything, but anyway, well, if anyone else knows, shoot us a note. Shall we move on to Ephraim and Dot? This was my favorite one. Mine too. By mine, far. Mine, mine three. Yep. <laughs> it was adorable. And if you never knew you needed a animated Lincoln in space, now you know. <laughs> oh my gosh. Also not sure. I just noticed on rewatching today that the the toy that Burnham has in The Girl Who Made the Stars is the tardigrade Ephraim oh, yeah. from... Yeah, I didn't notice that the first two times. It's a very cute tie-in. Uh, so this is the one where the tardigrade ties to lay her eggs on the original, the en- Enterprise, no bloody A, B, C, or D, but gets stopped by a, a cleaning maintenance robot named Dot, and um, hijinks ensue as well as many, many, many Easter eggs. So one of the complaints I saw about this episode <laughs> was that the the clips, or I guess the the references to the original series, did not take place in order. Yeah, <laughs> which like, uh, okay, if you want to be mad about it, be mad about it. But we also know that my- the mycelial network tra- transverses—that's the word—space and time. So there, <laughs> and also the that the ship at the end when when it blows up is incorrect. <laughs> Yeah, I saw, like, also that, like, the blanket that Khan is under isn't the actual color of the blanket in Space Seed. But that, like, this could also be a good argument for maybe why, like, not all of these are supposed to be 
canon canon or at least maybe they're not supposed to be like retconning things that have gone before like they're more like explorations i just who cares yeah (laughs) (laughs) i just have to say that there are people that dearly care about these small details and i'm not gonna say that you can't or that that's a bad thing But when it's actively making it so you can't enjoy the story, that's a problem. Or at Mm -hmm. least it's making it so it's hard for you to enjoy things. And the point of Star Trek and Star Trek fandom is to have fun, first and foremost. And I feel like they treat canon as like a bludgeon. Mm. And they just bludgeon all the fun out of it. (laughs) You're absolutely right. I should not say who cares. Because some people do care. But you're you're also absolutely right in that, like, if these little things prevent you from enjoying the wider story, I don't know, it's just, it, that makes me sad. You're putting yourself in canon jail, is what yeah. I'm saying. Well, and I, I think it's more if you're, like, you know, using it to try to, you know, tell other people they shouldn't like something or, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, because... There are, you know, there's people who are just like canon enthusiasts and want to talk about it a lot, and that's totally fine. And if it's like, this really personally bugged me, you know, I don't have a problem with that. If that's like, there are weirder reasons why I've been particularly bugged by something in Star Trek, so. But like, this ruined Star Trek? Yeah, yeah, but if it gets like, this ruined it, and, you know, these, you know, and then it devolves into like, personal attacks on the creators and the people who you know, we're saying they like it and then like, that's not cool. But yeah, this animated short is not, it's, it's supposed to be a cute 10 minute thing. It's not supposed to replace the original series for you. No, like it clearly is lovingly done in reference to the original series. Also, the uh, narrator is Kirk Thatcher, aka the punk on the bus from Star Trek (laughs) 4. So thought that was pretty awesome. It's super like joyful and also heartfelt like you think she's gonna lose the eggs and you're going no and then like but then dot saves the babies and the tardigrade babies are there and they're all oh my gosh i love it i feel like there were way more eggs than babies yeah probably but don't bring us down sue they all (laughs) survived okay they all survived like salmon would be super stoked (laughs) uh salmon biology joke there (laughs) anyway One thing that a lot of these episodes have in common is concentrating on the background rather Mm -hmm. than the foreground. So, like, in this case, our main characters aren't even human. It's a little robot, like a WALL-E-type robot, and a tardigrade, and all of the human shenanigans are the backdrop. And a lot of these other shorts have that in common, too. They're all characters that we wouldn't normally be focused on, which I think is kind of cool. Or, like, characters that we might focus on, but there are interactions that might not be focused on. And I think that's cool, and and I like that this tardigrade is having the adventure of her life. And while she's doing that, (laughs) Kirk and Spock are, like, running around... (laughs) Having numerous adventures of their lives, too, and never the two shall meet. It kind of reminded me of the Buffy episode, The Zeppo, in which Mm -hmm. Xander is having a really intense, 
like adventure and in the background there's another apocalypse but like <laughs> they never interact in any way it's really i it's a it's a storytelling device i enjoy is what i'm saying mm-hmm. and the animation is adorable it's so cute it's so cute yeah it's definitely my favorite yeah and yeah so many so many easter eggs definitely like i'm sure that you know, think choices that they made in terms of the timeline or in terms of things like the color of the blanket were made artistically. And to me, that's that's fair artistic license. Like it wasn't out of, you know, a desire to destroy or to undermine the source material because clearly the creators really, really loved it. It's space Abraham Lincoln animated. It's so good. Cool. All right. Well. That brings us to our final installment, Children of Mars, which is the only Picard tie-in and is the one that has two little girls who are going to preppy Starfleet school and don't like each other very much. And then at the end, learn that their parents are probably dead because of an attack by, quote, rogue synths on Mars. So, what did we think of Children of Mars? I really could have done without that song. It was so distracting. Yeah, me too. And I will freely admit, because I wrote the recap for this one, and a couple people were like, oh, you do know that that's like a David Bowie song covered by Peter Gabriel. And I was like, nope, I did not catch that. But I also don't know that would have made me like it more. No, I mean, I know the song. I love the song. I didn't know the song. (laughs) Well, here we go. To those people, I say, I did know the song, and I didn't, like, it, like, it, it, the pace was slowed down so much that it just got kind of eerie, which mm-hmm. is fine, except for it was really distracting from the story, I thought. Like, music's supposed yeah. to enhance, it's not supposed to distract. Well, and because it's so slow, you really focus on the words, which I also didn't think were related enough to what was happening. It just felt like someone really wanted to use that song. It's a great song. I really like it, but it just didn't, I don't feel like it worked in this context. Mm -hmm. Also, so questions about Starfleet's schooling system. So, kids wear school uniforms. Mm -hmm. Gotta say, I was disappointed that they didn't also have kids in little blue and yellow blazers. (laughs) They're only supposed to be 12 years old. So, maybe they just haven't picked specializations yet. Okay, and it seems like this is on Earth. Like, I I read a couple other reviews that also assumed that they're on Earth and their parents are at Utopia Planitia on Mars, right? So if that is the case, I'm not sure why they all get a shuttle to school instead of transporter pads. Also, where the school is. Maybe we don't need to know any of that, but I was more like, do I want to believe that Starfleet is, like, making – or that the Federation has kids all go to school – in uniforms in this weird sort of to me kind of dystopian looking academy that has these like grow and achieve mm-hmm. weird me- messages and teachers that all look kind of like vaguely religious in black and white that vulcan also was kind of creepy staring yeah he was uh saru's dad from discovery the actor oh oh okay random yeah, I don't know. I, I like to think, although, you know, this is part of the debate about Picard, is is Picard, like, showing us, you know, sort of a regressed Starfleet, like a Starfleet that is 
and a federation that's regressed to a more like maybe authoritarian or just like a less enlightened way of doing things. Cause I just generally, I'm not a huge fan of like schooling of like forced conformity in schooling and like in how students appear and that kind of thing. So to me, I was like, not super, I was like, that doesn't mesh with my vision of future schooling, but maybe that's just me. Also, how much does Lil's dad suck for not coming home in a year when she's just on Earth and he's on Mars? So I read that the same way you did the first time through, but then I started thinking, what if they were talking about a specific event? And it was, I'm not going to make it home this year, in parentheses, for Christmas, for your birthday, for whatever. Uh Not like, I won't be home for 365 days. (laughs) Okay, that would make more sense. It definitely confused me. It's like, sorry, I've already been figured out. I'm going to be too busy to... For the next year. Yes. Booked. Booked and busy. I don't know how I felt about this one. I was kind of iffy. I'm going to take it overall high level and say a lot of people are saying how powerful this was and how emotional this was. And I mean, unpopular opinion, I did not care for it. Mm -hmm. Um, It could just be like the emotional state that I have been in lately. But to me, you don't just like immediately forgive your tormentor because something bad happened. Yeah. Like someone replied i think actually i just saw a tweet by someone saying that this they found this really powerful and it reminded them of 9-11 and being at school and like turning towards all these other kids that were experiencing this news for the first time and feeling like all kind of shocked together and not really sure what to do and yeah so that was interesting and certainly you know, I've seen a lot of people, again, I guess this is a polarizing episode, a lot of people saying this is this spoke to me in so many ways. And that's awesome. It didn't really do that for me. I, you know, think back to, I mean, just taking like 9-11 as the example. I mean, I obviously wasn't as directly affected as the girls in this episode were, but I certainly felt very emotionally impacted that day. And it didn't, change my relationships with the other kids at my school and I didn't start to like if anything I distrusted people more than Mm -hmm. I would like trust someone that I had previously distrusted and whatever unity comes from that kind of event you might like sure there are feel-good stories about it but that doesn't last or if it does last it's built it's not something that you just decide in the moment like it lasts because you are sharing your common experience over time and like building a new relationship with that person Yeah, I don't know. And also, they beat each other up for, like, quite a long time before anyone intervenes in Mm -hmm. Federation school. These teachers are terrible. Man, 20th century high school. I mean, maybe some schools, but I don't know. That seemed excessive. The subtext of some of it is that they were both feeling real raw because they were seeing their parents. And so that's why they went zero to beating the shit out of each other that quickly. But it still was, like girl, maybe don't go that hardcore. (laughs) It feels like, it felt like the kind of tension release that you'd get after six months of torture. You know what I mean? Like, if you get, if you, if you are bullied in school, and I was, I did have a, like, moment where I just was like, I lost it, and I, and we fought, but it was like over the period of several months, 
before I got to that point. And in this case, it was like, she tripped you, so you're going to beat the crap out of her. Yeah, and it also, um, I wasn't clear... Because to me, like, it sort of seemed like Lil was more of the bully, but I also think they were trying to make it seem like it was, like, they were maybe more more or less. Like, Lil was more aggressive because her dad wasn't around, but that they were both doing things to each other. And I don't know, it didn't, to me, like, read, like, a familiar bullying dynamic. Just, like, not something I've encountered, really, in my experience. It seemed to me like it was a random person that she chose Mm -hmm. right there's no indicated history there of issues between these two girls well the other Mm -hmm. thing is is that that first the thing that tips it all off is she bumps into her and it didn't look to me like she did it on purpose it looked to me like she wasn't paying attention yeah or maybe she did but it was like plausibly a mistake yeah and then the second time she clearly wasn't trying to get her in trouble she was trying to make peace so it just mm-hmm. I don't know. It just it just seemed like very intense <laughs> considering it it didn't need to be that intense. And I I too totally get that like small things can feel like disasters when you're already feeling bad because of something that's happening in your life. So I get that. It just seemed like a little over the top. So can we get into the spoilers and speculation part? Yeah. Sure. Although by the time that this episode airs, we will have answers to some of this. Right. But what did we learn about Star Trek Picard from this short tracks? Well, there are rogue synths. Picard is an admiral. The attack on Utopia Planitia is interesting. And now here's where Jara and I, I know, have been reading the IDW countdown comics. Uh, At the time Mm -hmm. of this recording, there are only two of them. Yeah, they actually held the third one until after the first episode of Picard airs, which makes me wonder whether it was too spoilery or whether they just didn't have it ready. They made it sound like they didn't have it ready. But Mm -hmm. I'm going to mention some content from those. So if you don't want to know it, skip ahead a little bit. But we know that from those comics that Jordy is at running the Utopia Planitia shipyards, and he is building up a fleet to help evacuate the Romulans before the supernova that we learn of in Star Trek 2009. So this is pre, I think, 2389 is when that supernova happens. And I know a lot of people picked up on the Discovery era ships. I'm thinking maybe they're refitting those, those existing ships they already have, in order to do these evacuation missions. And that's why we're mm-hmm. seeing these much older ships at the beginning of Picard. Yeah, that would make sense because some people got really upset about those. Right. But I think it was a deliberate choice. This also implies to me that... Jordy is dead. Yeah. And likely, I mean, I would not expect the Picard that we know to up and quit Starfleet because Jordy died. But after completing these evacuation missions, he might. Who knows? But I certainly think it's putting us on that that track. Well, and maybe it's not so much that Jordy died that is the reason he quits, but it, it's that he's like upset about the way Starfleet handled something, Mm -hmm. some part of this. Especially assuming that the synths have something to do with data. Yeah, yeah. So there's been speculation on, like, are the synths, like, assuming androids? Are they a different kind of android? Are they, like, ex-Borg? Is, like, Starfleet going to react really badly to this situation and, like, take it out on legit androids? You know, what's going to happen? So I don't know. I don't think we have enough to answer those questions yet, but... 
seems, I think one thing is interesting, just at least from the comics and this put together, is that it doesn't seem like his retirement to his vineyard is actually that long. That uh, I think like the comic book, you know, has him going on a mission as an admiral like eight months before the start of the series. So that, but I don't know, maybe I'm wrong and that is just, I'm just confused by the timing. So my understanding is that 25 years have passed since Nemesis. Yes. Nemesis takes place in 2379. Uh-huh. And the the Romulan supernova is in 2389. So that's only okay. 10 years apart. Assuming that is shortly thereafter that Picard retires, that means he'd be retired for about 15 years. Okay, maybe. Yeah, I just, yeah, then I'm confused about the timing in the comics, which is maybe will be resolved once we see the rest of the comics. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, um, any final thoughts on Children of Mars? I don't know. I just, it felt empty to me. They, I feel like that, that Star Trek and CBS played this up so much as a prelude to Picard. And it was eight minutes long with almost no dialogue. And everything we actually learned about Picard from it, we was in the trailer for the short trek. Yeah. I mean, it certainly, I don't think it, it gave us clues to the premise of the show, but it didn't really, I think you're right that we didn't learn like how a lot new compared to like the trailers and the other things. And I don't know. I think, you know, some people definitely thought, thought that it was successful in creating like a moving atmosphere. And I think we're, we're probably going to, you know, there's, we should also maybe mention like there's a big interview with Patrick Stewart that came out in Variety recently that has been getting a lot of debate. Um, that he's saying, you know, he wanted the, the, you know, when he first got invited in to talk about the series, he was going to pass on it. But Alex Kurtzman really like, you know, impressed him with their ideas. And he said he wanted to, you know, get aspects of Brexit in there and, and things uh, like Trump and, you know, things that are not going well in our world today. And, you know, some people have, there's different reasons for not liking that. Like some people are like, this isn't what Star Trek is to me. Star Trek is supposed to be apolitical and not talk about problems in our world. And we like, no, that, that is not true. (laughs) There are some people who are just like, Star Trek's supposed to be hopeful, and this doesn't sound like it's going to be very hopeful, but I think we we don't know really yet how how that's going to go, because we don't know how it's going to end. So I don't know, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I mean, I'm definitely one of those people who's been like, I would love Star Trek to show us how we get past these things, so if they're going to okay. do that, awesome. Well, by the time this drops, we will have seen the premiere episode of Picard. I'm sure we will be back to you with more Picard thoughts as the series progresses. All right. So Short Treks Season 2 is done. And Andy, where can people find you elsewhere on the internet? Easiest place to find me is on Twitter at First Time Trek. And Sue? You can find me on Twitter at Spelltor. And you can find me on Twitter at Jarrah Penguin. That's J-A-R-R-A-H Penguin. And for more from our show and to contact us, you can visit womenatwarp.com or you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at womenatwarp. Or you can email us at crew at womenatwarp.com. And for more from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. 